Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine. Always a delight to be here with you and with all of the listeners. Well, I don't know about where you live, but it's pretty obviously, as my friend put it today, not summer anymore. Yeah, it's got a <laughs> nice brisk chill in the air, doesn't it? We've pulled out our down blankets and we're sleeping with them now. Yes, just got a, a notice from the people at Green Nations saying it's going to bring cold, be cold, bring extra blankets. Yes, yes. Yeah. So we have a <clears throat> we have a guest this evening at nine o'clock, Sarah Chana Silverstein. I think it's going to be a good discussion 
on keeping kids and moms healthy during the school year using herbs. I guess we could include dads in that, too. Yes. Well, and she certainly is the expert in how she have five children and seven children. Seven. Seven children. There you go. Yep. And she's a doula. So, so she works a, a lot with moms and kids and has a lot of wonderful things to share. We're really yeah. looking forward to having Sarah Hava with us. So we're looking forward to that. In the meantime, we have some people already, three people on the line with questions, so I'm going to open the line up right away. Okay. And in the 561 area, the line's open for you to speak with Susan. Hi, my name is Paula. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I've listened to your your program several times and and love what you say. Um, I have a weird problem, and I'm just wondering if you can offer me any uh, good sound advice, and that is that when I lie down to go to sleep at night, I have the urge to urinate, and I'm up all night uh, peeing. And then it only happens when I lie down and only at nighttime, and I was just wondering if you had anything to – I went to a urologist. They found nothing wrong. Uh, the gyno has given me some pills that don't work, and I'm just wondering if you have any advice. May I ask how old you are? I will be 57 tomorrow. And when was your last period? I I had one in June, believe it or not. I do believe it. And it wasn't a full-blown one. It was, you know, spotting, but it lasted several days. Uh Uh-huh. And the one before that? I think it was about 11 months before. Mhm. Mhm. And that one at 11 months was there one like right before that or was that also like an a singular oddity? Yeah, it was a singular oddity. The one before that maybe was 7 or 8 months prior. So you've been kind of having a period like every year, once every three, three or four years. So yes. Mhm. And in terms of your diet, could you tell me the kinds of foods that you eat or don't eat? Um, well, like I eat a lot of everything. I'm a very healthy eater. I, I living in Florida, I eat papaya or you know fruit or grapefruit or apples, a, a lot of that. Um, Can stop very right, little meat. Can stop um, right there. We found your problem. Okay. Fruit. Oh. Fruit acids are very irritating to the bladder, especially if that fruit is consumed raw. Oh, how interesting. You know what? I've been, since I moved to Florida, that's all I eat now is fruit, and that's when it started happening. No, actually, it was longer than that. It happened before I moved to Florida. But that's interesting. I will cut it out and see what happens. Mm-hmm. You can still eat cooked fruit or, or dried fruit or frozen fruit. Oh, okay. All right. But um, I would really cut back. On the amount of fruit. It's one of the things I don't like make a big deal about it. But mm-hmm. basically, the apprentices don't get any fruit for the first three weeks they're here. Oh, okay. And well, then, that makes- interestingly enough, when I buy it for them, they often don't want it anymore. Oh. Hmm. So, again, I'm a big fan of cooked fruit. I don't think anybody has anything against apple pie or cherry cobbler or baked peaches. Right. Right. And that <clears throat> makes a change in the fruit acids and the fructose. Okay. Well, I will I will certainly try that. Let me ask you what I did read about that uh, uh well, well, I also I wanted to say one other thing. Oh, I, 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 <clears throat> and that is that you might include you're drinking nourishing herbal infusions. 
I am. Um, I heard you before, and I got a whole pound of the nettle, which I do every day, and I have the comfrey, which I don't do as often, but I do the nettle um, every day. The comfrey every couple of days because it's not as flavorful to me as the uh, uh-huh. nettle. It's a nettle. And, and what kind of scale did you wind up getting? Um, I have one of those um, uh, scales that uh, you press the button and then you put it in. It's I can't think of what you call it. You know, it measures the amount. A little electronic scale. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, what those I, are really easy to use. Yeah, that's exactly what I use. Yeah. I wouldn't drink any in, any one of the infusion herbs every single day. Oh, okay. I rotate through five of them. Okay, so you do a different one every day. I do a different one every day. Okay, all right. That sounds so nice. I, I would, if taking fruit out of your diet doesn't have the effect you want within three nights, then stop drinking the nettle. Okay. And if that doesn't do what you want, then start using corn silk. That's exactly what I was going to ask you about, because I had read about that. Mm-hmm. Now, the corn silk from the fresh corn, or do I buy a, um, the I mean, how do you, because you can't buy that much corn, corn to get that much corn silk, you know? You can't put an ounce of corn silk in a quart jar. It's extremely light. I use the silks from six ears of corn for one quart of boiling water. Mm. Now, can you purchase that like you can purchase the, the nettle and the comfrey? Yes, you can. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I bought the, the other two at the Red Mountain uh, place, so I'll, I'll go online and check that out for the, um, the corn silk. Excellent. Okay. Now, well, thank you so, so much. Far as I, I really, know, really appreciate you helping I, I And I'm happy to have you support Red Moon. But so far as I know, they buy that herb from a wholesaler. Oh, who's that? And just repackage it. Oh. And that's what we usually suggest that people buy from, from Mountain Rose, and maybe that's who you meant? Yeah, that's what, who I meant, Mountain Rose, yes. Okay, because yep. you said Red Mountain, and I thought maybe you meant Red Moon. I knew there was an R and a mountain in there, that's all. Okay, so Mountain Rose, got it. Okay, so that's fine. That's one of the, the major wholesalers. Okay, great. And uh, you're doing just fine. Okay, well, and we're thank talking you about so much. dried herbs there, right? Because Red Moon Herbals is a wonderful source for tinctures. Tinctures, right? But they do also sell infusion herb. Yes, yes, I know. I was just qualifying that that they make their own tinctures. They do make their own tinctures. They certainly do. Yes. All right. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings to you. On the line with the eight four five area code, you can speak with Susan. Thank you very much. Um, I am a newbie. I have just actually sort of discovered you, and, and so excuse my ignorance because I don't know a whole heck of a lot. Um, I am always point, happiest when my mind is beginner's mind. What a state of grace you are in. Oh, yay. Why, thank you. Good. Excellent. Um, I'm having a real problem. I've, I've always broken blood vessels very easily, just in my fingers for no reason at all. And recently I've had a pretty serious problem with um, my hand going numb. And about a week ago, all the blood vessels in in the palm of my hand broke. And then today there's a lot of broken blood vessels on the other side of my hand, you know, on the top side. And it's kind of scary. And I wondered if there were herbs or teas or something that I could um, 
take in order to strengthen my blood vessels? Because this is, yeah, I'm 68, so, you know, I'm not 20. Yes, I hear you. And I'm kind of, you know, going through my mental roll decks for, you know, capillary fragility. Yeah. And things that we can do to strengthen the capillaries. Uh, Nettle comes up, not that it's specific for strengthening the capillaries, but it's specific for strengthening the blood vessels. And comfrey, of course, also makes everything, especially the movable parts of our body, stronger and more resilient and more flexible and therefore less likely to break. Okay. And I'm going to ask you a question that you do not have to answer at all um, because it's, you know, somewhat cheeky of me to ask, but we are all aware that one of the things that causes capillary fragility is alcohol. Okay. Oh, you're asking me how much I drink? Yeah. Um, um, I would say on the weekend, a couple of glasses of wine. On a special occasion, I'll have some vodka and tonic or something. I'm not a daily drinker, and and when I drink, it's probably two or three glasses of red wine. So I I don't think and so. I'm this probably drinker. is not associated with alcohol intake. I don't think so. No, because I mean weeks go by and I won't have anything, and you know then if, then if a special occasion comes up or I go out to dinner or something, I'll have a couple of glasses of wine. So mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not much of a drinker. And so and so. Thank you for answering, and as I said, you certainly didn't have to because it's somewhat important. Oh, no problem. Yeah. No, and if I were a drinker, I probably would be a little, oh, my God, but no. (laughs) Not an issue. Not an issue. Good. Are you drinking nourishing herbal infusions at this point? Since you said you were a newbie, I'm figuring you probably aren't. No, no, and when you say nettle and comfrey, I don't know what what amounts, how much. So, Well, um, let me talk you through it then. One of the best ways, in my mind, to get the nourishing benefits of herbs is to use nutritive herbs as infusions. Now, we're all familiar with herbal teas. A tea is a small amount of fresh or dried herb brewed for a short time in some water. Mm -hmm. An infusion is a large amount of dried herb brewed for a long time. Okay. So to make a nettle infusion, we would get dried nettle leaf. Okay. Weigh out one ounce of it. That's a lot. It is indeed. Yeah. Put that one ounce into a quart jar. Fill the jar to the top with boiling water. Put a tight lid on it. And let it steep like that for four to ten hours. And by 10 hours, that's overnight, right? Right. I would say so, sure. Yeah, and that's when I usually do it, is I usually make mine last thing at night. All right, boil the water, pour it over the dried herb in the jar, put the lid on it, turn the light off, turn the stove off, go to sleep. In the morning, I strain it out, and it's ready to drink. Okay, and in in what quantity? I strain the liquid away from the herb, squeezing the herb to get all the liquid out of it. Put the herb either in the compost, or if there's no compost pile, then I just put it right out on the ground. Refrigerate the liquid, 
and drink that liquid over the next day or two. The recipe for making infusions is in every one of my books. Plus, you will find YouTubes of me making the infusions so that you can actually see me doing it. That sounds good. Now, how much? So, for instance, I've just, say I've just made this nettle infusion and and I've um, consumed it over a day or two. Uh, Would I continue doing that for a period of time, like a week or a month or something, or or would I alternate it with coffee? I've been drinking a quart of nourishing herbal infusion daily for about 30 years. Okay. And will it always be a nettle infusion, or will it be nettle sometimes comfort? I rotate through five different herbs. Nettle, comfrey. Yeah which we talked about strengthening and making things more flexible, oat straw, linden, and red clover. Okay. That's certainly not the limit of it, and I suggested that nettle and comfrey would be excellent. Hawthorn, leaf and flower, and again, the same thing, an ounce of it weighed out, put into a quart jar, the jar filled to the top with boiling water, tightly lidded, allowed to steep overnight or four hours, whichever works for you. And the hawthorn is considered one of the great cardiovascular tonics in the world. It's extremely mild. It's in the apple family. Oh, okay. So it's, uh, all of these herbs I consider completely safe. Now, people might argue with me about comfrey. Some people believe that comfrey leaf is unsafe. So far as I've been able to find out, there is a species of comfrey that's unsafe, but that one is not grown commercially and is not what we buy, even though what we buy is mislabeled as that species. And I say this having consumed comfrey leaf bought in bags that have the wrong species name on them for decades. Wow in addition to the comfrey that I grow myself. And my sweetheart um, also drinks lavish amounts of comfrey infusion, at least two quarts a week, often more. And for completely unrelated reasons, he had a liver function test, and he was at the head of his class for his age group. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? So I can say definitely that comfrey is not injuring the liver, and that's what people are worried about. And so with, with all of these infusions, you're drinking them straight. You're not putting honey in them or lemon juice or anything else. You can put anything you want in it. And you can put instant coffee in it or whiskey if that's what you want. Oh, so it's okay. I mean, because you know, sometimes green things taste very, very green, and you think, my goodness, and it might be nice. If it tastes very, very green, putting honey in it is just going to make it worse. Oh. Can you imagine <laughs> sitting know. down... A plate of kale and putting honey on it? No, but I love kale, so. <laughs> well, that's green. That's about as green as it gets. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. These infusions are not going to taste any more green than kale. Okay, well, then I'll love them, clearly. Yeah, and I prefer mine good. iced. Oh, that sounds good, too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. I, don't, I don't much like hot beverages. I really like iced beverages. 
And many people, when they come here and I serve them the iced infusions, they go, whoa, this is really good. I'm like, yeah. They're, oh, I thought you had to drink it hot. I said, nobody ever said to drink that you even need to drink it hot. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is wonderful. This is wonderful stuff, and hopefully over a period of time my blood vessels will get stronger. I think so. All right. Wonderful. All righty. Well, I thank you so much for your time and so much, and, and obviously I'm going to get right to the health food store tomorrow and get on with it. Right, and give us a call September, October. Give us a call sometime around Thanksgiving and let me know how it's going, okay? Okay, I would love to do that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. All right. Bye. Oh, no. Oh, no. I think I just got disconnected. No, you're still here. Oh, my gosh. I thought my phone died. Thank you. Hi, Susan. It's Rose from New Hampshire. Hi, Rose. Hi. Oh, thank you so much for for being there. Um, I am so happy. I finally located one of your books that I purchased from you way back in 1989 when I first met you. And it has been lost and it appeared. Now, my question to you, I recall, well, I have two questions. The, uh, one is about seeds that you have been, spoke, been speaking about the last couple of weeks. And then my main question before that is, I remember you mentioning one of the books that you wrote in the past, um, you redid. And I just want to be sure it wasn't this one. The copyright of this book is 1989, and um, it's, it's The Wise Woman Herbal Healing Wise. So that is my first question. Is the, is this the, the book one that, that I revised was Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, which is now oh. available as new Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way. When I came out with Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, the opinion of most doctors was that menopausal and postmenopausal women should take hormones and they should take them for the health of their heart and the health of their bones. It was my strongly stated opinion in Menopausal Years that this was not true and that hormones were not good for your heart, were not good for your breasts, and weren't good for your bones. Because scientific studies occurred actually showing, um, if I may be so unhumble as to say that I was right, uh, that taking (laughs) hormones isn't good for your heart and isn't good for your bones and certainly increases the risk of breast cancer, um, I felt compelled to redo the book so that I could go na-na-na-na-na and say, look, don't take these hormones. Here's the other things you can do. And thus, new menopausal years, the wise woman way. Okay, thank you. So this one that uh, you published in, 19, in 1989 uh, is still um, is still good. <laughs> Absolutely. As okay, I say, wonderful information so just... on plants never grows old. Well, okay. Thank you so much. Now, um, I just started um, reading it. And um, my question is about seeds. Um, you mentioned in that book that you started reading, that you did read Adele Davis and Ann Wigmore. And I studied with Ann Wigmore, and my first nutrition books that I read as a new mother, um, 
um, were, were by Adele Davis as well. Now, um, to, to get to my questions about seeds, in, in, when I studied with Ann Wigmore, she talked a lot about seeds and um, how we have to soak in, remove the enzyme inhibitors, um, and I was doing that for years. Um, reading your book got me thinking about, about seeds, and I have more questions um, because you're the one who mentioned to me that sprouting was bad, so I stopped doing that, and I learned that, of course, from Ann Wigmore. She was a big proponent of that, um, wheatgrass and, and sprouting all the, all, the, all the seeds, and um, I thought they were safe because you're removing the enzyme inhibitors. I, um, I, if I, if I got, got it straight, I believe that you have, you have um, were trying to explain to me in the, uh, more, most recently that sprouting is bad, don't do it. Um, do I have that correct, first of all? Well, let me, let me see if I can make it a little more sophisticated since the truth of the matter is that I do my best not to use the words good and bad. Okay. Seeds are the babies of plants. Plants protect their babies by putting a seed coat around the seed to protect it. When the seed begins to sprout, that seed coat must break open, leaving the little baby seed vulnerable. Therefore, the first thing that that seed does is to produce carcinogenic chemicals. All sprouting seeds produce chemicals that are carcinogenic. If you have a garden and you plant seeds and you watch them as they sprout, you will see that nothing eats the sprouting seed. Not crows, not worms, not insects. They wait until the first true leaves have appeared. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And so once the true leaves have appeared, the plant is no longer a sprout, and therefore it stops making those carcinogenic chemicals. Yes, thank you for reminding me of that. If we look worldwide, we see that there are basically no cultures on this planet that use sprouts. Yes. The exception is in China. And I always say to people, you can't base your diet on what has been done in China because you've got to look at the history of China and the fact that millions upon millions upon millions of people have starved to death in China. Yes. So they have adopted some strange things to eat mm-hmm. so that they don't starve to death. Okay. And one of those strange things is mung bean sprouts. Yes. But two things about them. One, they are always served cooked. And two, if you look at it, you will see the true leaf has emerged. Yes, yes. yes. So making them thus safe to eat. That's right. Yes. Okay. But they should still be cooked in your opinion. I'm simply saying that for however long they've been eaten in China, they have only ever been eaten cooked. And I trust my ancestors. Yes. Yes. Even if they're not my personal ancestors. So I don't have any Chinese ancestry, but I trust the elders there to instruct me. Yes. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that for me. So that brought to mind, as, I'm, as I just started reading y- your book, 
Um, what about all the other seeds? Um, for example, uh, I was just eating a newly harvested uh, baby watermelon that, that um, I grew. Now, those seeds of the watermelon... Now this is a this is a heritage, this is an heirloom watermelon. It's not the 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 newfangled seedless one. Now these seeds. So am I supposed to not eat the seeds of this watermelon, or um, unless I soak them and sprout them and cook them, or is it okay to eat a watermelon seed? Is my first question. This the watermelon is in the same family as pumpkin, yes? Yes. Would so, you eat pumpkin seeds? Well, I eat pumpkin and seeds. And how would you eat pumpkin seeds? Okay, I eat pumpkin seeds soaked and dehydrated. I do not sprout them. Excellent. Um, you could do the same thing with your watermelon seeds. Okay. Soak, soak them and dehydrate them, and, and um, if I were to sprout them, I would have to wait till the first true leaves appear. We're not talking about sprouting them. Right. We're not talking about doing that at all. Okay, okay. So that also brought to my mind... But you aren't know, you growing an heirloom because you want to save the seeds and grow more watermelons next year? Uh, yes, I am saving. Well, this one happened to be actually because I live in New Hampshire. It's, they're too young. The watermelons are very, very small. So the seeds are very small. So I don't think they would be wise to save because uh-huh. they didn't get That's to a, grow and, and You know, I speak as a gardener. Uh-huh. Um, I had a small sling with the heirlooms and I thought, the reason these things are heirlooms is because they don't work. Oh? Oh. The point of growing something from an heirloom seed is so you get seeds to grow it next year. And you're telling me that these seeds don't work, that they're too long season for you to get a ripe watermelon. And I'm telling you, you can buy some really great hybrid seeds that will give you watermelons within your season. Okay. And if you're not going to save the seed, why pay the premium for heirloom seed? Yeah, well, they, I, I actually didn't. It was given, they were given to me. Okay, I understand. Yeah, and I was just giving giving it a shot. Uh, I was yeah. just giving and it a shot. And as I said, generally they don't work. Generally the seasons are too long or they have far less vitamins or they're really resistant to funguses or wilts or rots or insects. You know, agriculture marches very on. Did you say, I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Did you say heirlooms are generally more resistant? Less. To, to less. Less. Less resistant to insects, less resistant to molds and funguses, less vitamin content. Really? Yes. So this, so this big deal about saving heirloom seeds, it's not, it's not, they're not the most nutritious for us? Goodness gracious, no. Oh. So why are people so into... My goodness, you're going to ask me to explain all other people to you? <laughs> my level of expertise. <laughs> oh my goodness! So I thought that was a good thing, but I'm trying to get into nutrient dense eating because I've been malnourished all my life, and now I find out I'm I've been barking up the wrong tree. Thank you for you, getting. But me. you're drinking nourishing herbal infusions, right? Oh, of course. I've made improvements since I started doing that. Wonderful. So that's your real nutrient dense food. 
Well, it, it certainly know, is. Let, let now, me just go over here and get back to our original conversation. I have this yeah. really, really wonderful chart called The Healthiest Vegetables. And this comes from the Center for Science and the Public Interest, CSPI.org. CSPI, Center for Science and the Public Interest, CSPI.org. And this is what it says. We came up with a score for each vegetable by adding up its percentage of the daily value for eight different nutrients. So in other words, if this provided 10% of the daily value of this and 15% of the daily value of that and none of the other things daily value, it would get a score of 25. Mm-hmm. Okay. The score for the top thing on this chart, Swiss chart, is 1,047. Mm. The next thing, Kale, is 1,014, and these are all cooked. And cooked spinach is 926. One cup of raw lettuce is 174, and, <laughs> and uh, one cup of alfalfa sprouts is seven. Wow. Okay. Are sprouts nutritious? No, ma'am. Are they nutrient-dense? No, ma'am. Okay. Got it. One uh, one other question regarding seeds. I because I love to eat my wild foods. I discovered beech plum, and I read that that seed is toxic, so not to eat it. Um, have you ever prepared them? Because I tried to get the seed out, couldn't do it, so I ended up cooking the beech plums and making a wonderful. Um, cooked fruit, uh, just pushing them through a sieve. I don't have a Foley food mill. And um, just wondering if you have experimented with them. I just had no success in trying to get the seed out to discard it before I cook them. So I Can't. just decided, well, what am I doing it this way for? Do you know that apple seeds are poisonous? Yes, I do. And yet we all cook applesauce with the apple seeds in it and strain them out? Yes. Peach pits are poisonous. Yes. Most uh, most Apricots of the fruits in the apple family, which is actually the rose family, are poisonous. And yet we cook them with it because they have a seed coat or a hard outer shell around it, thus protecting us from the poisons. Okay. So, um, okay. They have what the I'm hard- saying, let me be clear, is what you did is perfectly fine. Okay. So... Um, when I switched my thinking from trying to depit it first, that was like I experimented. I couldn't do it. So what I did was... So what you did was cook it. Perfect. Just like we would cook apples or peaches or anything else, we wouldn't take the seeds out of the apples before we cooked them. No, no, no. Okay. Well, well very good. For, thank you for uh, your advice on... Uh, seeds and clarif- making, uh, clarifying my questions for me because uh, I am just learning so much from you, and I just thank you so much. You are welcome. Keep up the good works and keep telling people about infusions. I am. Thank you so much. God bless you. All righty. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.
Okay, in the 970 area, the line's open for you to speak with Susan. Thank you very much. Hi, Susan. Hello, how are you this evening? I'm doing great. I hope you're doing great, too. I certainly am. Fabulous. I just have what I think is probably a very simple question. I am 51 years old, and I just found out about you and all this, so it's something I've been looking for for a while, and I thought it my first step would be to start uh, doing some nourishing infusions each day, and it would be great for me to have seven of them. And so I've got written down oat straw, red clover, nettles, comfrey, and I'm looking for three more. If you might have a recommendation for someone my age, I'm basically healthy, but just looking to kind of nourish my body. Okay. I didn't hear Linden on your list. Linden, okay. L-I-N-D-E-N, Linden. Mm-hmm. Linden, and it's Linden flowers that we want. Okay. okay. And I personally prefer to buy it from Frontier Herb. Okay. Because they sell whole Linden, which uh-huh. I find makes a much better infusion than the cut Linden that is sold by other purveyors. Great. And I'm I'm curious about why you need seven. Oh, it's just it would be easy to do one each day of the week, and then I would remember which one I'm doing today. I mean, it's a silly reason, but it works with my lifestyle. That was all. Uh-huh. If there were, and then also so perhaps it, it would make yeah. it easier for you if I told you that it doesn't really matter if you well, remember. Yeah, but- <laughs> There's that too. I guess. I mean, I looked in. I saw at one point you had chickweed and violet written down. As you can definitely do those. I'm just saying that if you do nettle and comfrey and then nettle again, and then yeah. linden and ostra and then nettle again and comfrey again, it doesn't matter. The world won't end. <laughs> do you eat corn? Do I eat corn? Yes. No. Do you eat rice? Not very much, actually. I'm kind of a a wheat girl if I do any oats. Oats or wheat if I do any kind of grain. But you do you do eat both oats and wheat. Occasionally, yeah. Okay, but you only eat wheat on Mondays and Wednesdays, and you only eat oats on well, Tuesdays. Well, no, I mean obviously, <laughs> obviously, I can do it myself. I was just thinking it would be interesting to know, and it seems like a good method. But I can also mix and match. That's what I've been doing. And I just thought that it would be fun to, you know, perhaps introduce something different. And I anyway. and, and, and that's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. And the reason that the ones I've chosen are the ones I've chosen, the mm-hmm. the comfrey, the nettle, the red clover, mm-hmm. and the oat straw are very high in protein. Mm-hmm. And um, I agree with Adele Davis that. Protein um, is a limit in the human diet, and that the more protein we get, usually the healthier we are. However, most protein sources come with a lot of other things that we don't necessarily need or want. And these infusions then give us a way to have lavish amounts of protein in our diet without those other constituents. Chickweed doesn't contain protein. Violet mm-hmm. doesn't contain protein. Mm-hmm. Hawthorn doesn't contain protein. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So while we can certainly use other herbs for infusion, I would be loath to see you bumping an herb that would give you protein for another one just because you wanted to have seven. <laughs> just because it's Friday? <laughs> just exactly. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Right? I understand. No, that's but perfect. you're giving up. And I don't think that you're making a good choice by limiting your grains either, by the by. Yeah, it's more of a preference of choice, like what I like. That's it's not like I don't eat corn because I think it's a bad thing. I just don't particularly care for it. So, but oh, I wish you'd been yeah. here tonight. We had corn chowder for dinner, and I bet you would have eaten it. <laughs> it's probably true. So, Alrighty, well that's good it. with our that's fresh goat's milk. So enjoy your infusions, and you're doing fine. You know whatever you want to do, but again, the nettle, the oat straw, the comfrey, and the red clover are good sources of protein, and that's one of the reasons that I like to see people drinking them. Okay, fabulous. Alrighty. Thank you very much. All right. Blessings. Bye bye. Alrighty, so here we are with a little bit of space to answer some email questions which have been piling up here in the last couple of weeks because there's been so many people calling in. You there, Susan? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I I thought you were going to ask me a question, sorry. I am. I just was checking to make sure that I wasn't talking to myself. <laughs> you know, sometimes that yeah, happens. Yeah, I understand. No, I'm right here. Okay. Um, I am looking for insight on how to heal HPV naturally and came across your article on STIs and STDs in Edge magazine. You wrote glycorrhizic acid from licorice hones in on the herpes virus and causes it to self-destruct. I might be understanding this incorrectly. Do you mean self-destruct during an outbreak? Or is the virus completely eradicated? I've never heard this before and was confused because I had not heard that the herpes had a cure. I also found this claim in the book Medical Herbalism. My question is, have you seen licorice completely annihilate the herpes virus so it is not present in the body anymore? What effect have you seen licorice have on herpes virus? Thank you for your work and great information. I personally do not use licorice at all. I don't use licorice because it's not a plant that grows around me. I don't use licorice because it has compounds that raise blood pressure. I don't use licorice because mostly it's used to cover up the taste of bad tasting herbs. I believe, but again, this is not based on my own personal experience, but I believe that what um, medical herbalism and what the article that you're talking about are saying is not about licorice, but about a compound extracted from licorice. Isn't that what it said at the beginning of the letter, Justine? Glycorrhiza, or 
was that is she just talking about just using the botanical name of licorice? I am uncertain. I know most herbalists who use licorice don't use licorice. They use some kind of preparation of licorice. So yet another reason why I don't actually use it. I also, I guess, misheard because I thought at the beginning of the letter um, it said it was a question about human papillomavirus rather than about herpes. Um, so that kind of got my thinking off on a, a, a strange place there. Um, you didn't miss here. With most viruses, the body does learn how to deal with the viruses. And usually when someone is infected with a genital herpes, they have an outbreak, and that initial outbreak can be quite painful and can last for a while. But as their body uh, begins to understand what it is and to deal with it, it goes into hiding. The basic way that herbalists get at the virus is to wait until it starts to come out of hiding, uh, where you get that pronome symptom, and then to use some kind of herbal remedy at that point. My favorite choice of an herbal remedy is Hypericum perforatum tincture. And I have certainly seen that turn back subsequent um, instances of an outbreak after the first one. It can make the first one shorter. It can make it less painful. But it can be highly effective against the other ones. Again, if you're going to use licorice, check it out. See if a specific um, preparation of licorice hasn't been specified and use it at the time when the herpes is starting to come out of hiding, when you're getting that pronoun symptom, and see what happens. Um, hopefully it will work for you. Green blessings. Thank you. In the 732 area, the line is open for you to speak with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. Hi. I had spoken to you a while back. I have um, hyperthyroid issues, and you had suggested doing a bladder rack infusion to me. And where are you at, and what's happened? Um, well, I've noticed that my energy levels are definitely higher and the weight that I had on, um, is coming off, you know, there's the, the last few pounds that I, I sit there and I go, okay, we're dealing with someone, something, but it's definitely an improvement. Um, one of my friends had gotten talking to me about me doing this and they had, been told that when you're using bladder rack, you're only supposed to use it for, say, like two weeks on and then two weeks off. I had wanted to know your opinion on this because I had never heard that before. I'm going to look in my book, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, because there in that book, I have written down the information that I got 
from the thyroid specialists and herbalists that I talk to. I'm okay. certainly not a thyroid specialist, and um, I think that the thyroid information in new menopausal years, alternative approaches for women 30 to 90, mm-hmm. um, is certainly worth um, the price of the book, and even if you're not in menopause now, you'll have it around when you are. So let's find <laughs> so, that so information. Here we go. On thyroid. Silly, but yes. Okay. Herbalists 5,000 years ago used fucus, that's white rack seaweed, to increase levels of thyroid hormone. An aggressive withdrawal protocol used by Ryan Drum adds 3 to 5 grams of fucus to the daily diet and halves the amount of hormone taken each week. Careful monitoring is essential. The conservative approach adds 1 gram of fucus to the diet for a month, having the medication. Then 2 grams of fucus are taken daily for the second month, and the medication is again halved. This is continued for 5 months. If results are positive, continue taking 5 grams of fucus a day to control symptoms. If negative, discontinue. Well, I'm certainly not seeing anything there that's uh, extremely precautionary. So, I think it's pretty clear that what Ryan Drum is saying is take it every day. Yeah, 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 yes. Right? Uh, that, that was my point, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but there was there was nothing there. Okay. Um one of my other questions was for um I had spoken to you a couple months ago and you said to take a half cup. He's talking about theoretically increasing um if I'm not taking any medication, do you see a reason would you in any way suggest increasing the amount that I'm taking? Or would that be really a I should probably talk to myself about that? I think you're right with the latter thing. I certainly couldn't tell you, could I? Well, I think perhaps if we sat down for a long, in-depth conversation, you might be able to give me some direction, but yeah. (laughs) I don't think so. I don't have a thyroid issue. I don't specifically work with people with thyroid issues. I've just read to you what I got from my interview with Ryan Drum, which was approved by him. I think if you talked with Ryan, he could give you some... (laughs) Guidance. I don't think no matter how long you talk to me, it would improve my knowledge. Okay, good point. Um, thank you so much for pointing me in the right direction. You are welcome. Green blessings. Bye. Okay, here we are on to another email question. I am 75 and in urinary problem. My bladder is retaining 10 to 20 cc's after emptying. The urologist at UCLA is very concerned. Four years back, he had performed TURP surgery for prostate, and he examined it and found the prostate not enlarged. So the retention may be due to the aging bladder's wall, capacity to force, inflammation, or I don't know. I read your page on bladder in Gaia's Garden webpage. Homeopathic Z and Comfrey Sitz baths or infusions. Also, my left kidney is not functioning well due to an obstruction in the urethral connecting kidney to bladder. That might be another problem. My general health is okay. Blood pressure control by 
by Medicine by BenCare HCT, also Glaucoma Control by Lumigan. I am a firm believer in alternative natural ways. Please suggest. Thanks in anticipation. Okay, so um, while you have been reading, I've been looking through the books in the room with me, looking for my copy of Down There, and I just realized, oh, right, I brought it into the room where I write, because we were finishing up the nettle monograph for the new Unit 3 of the Heart Health course, which is a standalone unit, and I needed to look up some information about nettle seed and nettle root being used for this kind of condition. So here we go. Now I have my copy of Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way, right in front of me. And this book starts with pelvic floor, and then it moves right on into bladder issues, which, of course, affect both men and women. And especially for men, we have a section on lutes, lower urinary tract symptoms. And uh, as with every topic in this book, there is a help box. Help! You can expect results in two to four weeks. Relax in a hot bath. And I think the uh, letter said something about a comfrey sits bath, hot comfrey sits bath. Good idea. Take a dropper full of saw palmetto and St. Joan's wort tinctures twice a day. So you take a dropper full of saw palmetto and a dropper full of St. Joan's wort tincture, that's Hypericum perforatum, um, in the morning and again at night or any other interval you want so long as you're taking it twice a day. Limit your use of antihistamines, decongestants, diuretics, alcohol, coffee, tea, soda, and acidic foods. Other than reading everything um, here to you, which is going to take up too much time, um, I could suggest that you uh, look through this section on lower urinary tract symptoms. But I'm also looking for um, part of the section here about uh, women and talking about uh, retention. And there's some uh, exercises and positions that... um, help. I do want just for the listeners so that they know what you're talking about. A TERP is a transurethral resection of the prostate. A thin laser is threaded through the urethra and used to destroy offending tissue. General anesthesia is required. The success rate is quite high, about 95%. Incontinence and erectile difficulties are rare. The major drawback is infertility. Orgasm is pleasurable, but scarring from terp makes the semen retrograde so that it goes into the bladder instead of coming out of the body. A study of 400,000 men who chose terp found that within five years they were more likely to require additional prostate surgery than men who had refused surgery and men who chose terp were more likely to die than those who chose prostatectomy surgery. 
So, again, this is from down there, giving you information on all of the different things. And then we turn the page and we find Bladder Star Comfrey improves muscle tone in the bladder, eases irritation in the bladder, lining in ureters, heals all surfaces in the bladder, counters inflammation, and creates resilient health throughout the urinary system. I hope that this information leads you in the right direction. Green blessings. Thank you. In the 802 area, the line's open for you to speak with Susan. Good evening, Susan. Good evening. Hi, my name is Catherine, and I've been a caller to your show before. And um, I always uh, feel so extremely grateful for this resource to be open to me and anyone else who chooses to listen. Thank you. You are welcome, and I appreciate your appreciation. Well, I want to share a secret with you, and that is that I am in love with a plant that I have cultivated in my garden. And... um, I'm calling to ask you if you've, well, I have a feeling you know this plant, and I want to know if you've had a relationship with her. Um, I call her my little kitten, and she's a fuzzy plant with um, a yellow flower that has a purple center, and she's known as henbane. And when I look up information about her on the Internet, there's all this very spooky, frightening, it's dangerous, it's, you know, poisonous, don't go near it, but... I sowed this seed in my garden, and it's been growing, and it's um, really near the end of its cycle this season, but I I love it. I admire it. I smell it. I, 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 I'm, I'm so inspired by it, and, I, and I'm wondering if you've ever had any experience with it. I have never had any personal experience with it. But I have certainly read that people have died from touching it. Touching it, really? Yeah. It's one of the most poisonous plants in the world. Mm-hmm. It contains some alkaloids which are um, used in medicine. They're very, very, very powerful alkaloids. And um, I am truthfully just astonished that you like the smell of it. Now, again, I've never personally been around the plant, but every author who writes about this plant um, writes pretty clearly and strongly about what an obnoxious, terrible, awful smell this Mm -hmm. plant has. So... um, Let me just read you a few things here. Um, This is um, from researcher Sigbert Ferkel. He rubbed an ointment containing henbane into his chest. Less than five minutes elapsed before my heart began to beat wildly and I was overcome by a powerful sensation of dizziness. My face was totally distorted. My pupils as large as my eyeballs. My lips blue and very swollen. My entire face chalky white. The walls and ceiling began to undulate and crash together with a loud bang. Faces came toward me out of the darkness and it slowly (laughs) grew completely dark around me as I soared upwards. At a great oh, my gosh. 
So that does not sound fun. No, no, but that's not been the experience I, I've had. Gardeners beware. Henbane smells rank and is no beauty. Authors outdo themselves in describing henbane, a clammy, pubescent, fetid, narcotic herb. Dark, the evil, slimy, stinking trouble. Pliny, I know. This is why I call Pliny you. This says is what henbane I... troubles the brain and puts men beside their right wits, and it breeds a dizziness in the head. It is a Offensive to all. So I this hear you. I, you love I it. That's I great. I don't understand. I don't understand. I, I find this cat to. I call it a little kitten. It's, it's got soft, fuzzy, little bit sticky leaves when it's young, and 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 the flowers are feline to me. They sometimes they want attention, and sometimes they're perfectly fine to be left alone. And. Uh-huh. I don't understand or why if, there's been a... If you were to adopt a tiger kitten. Well, I, w- I would admire the kitten and, and not attempt to tame it or do anything to it, which is what I've done with my henbane. I've let it grow. I've watched it. I've, I've, I love it from a distance, but I haven't cut it or, or tinctured it or done anything of the, of the sort. I've just watched it. Sounds good. Just smelling the leaves has produced dizziness and stupor. Oh, my goodness. Henbane contains the psychoactive alkaloid hyoscyamine, as well as generous amounts of the cerebral sedative scopolamine. It can redden the facial skin, dry the mouth, burn the throat, dilate the pupils, cause nausea, delirium, convulsions, coma. And death. Oh my goodness! Well, I, I so certainly... a tiger kitten may be cute, sure, but it is going to grow up into a tiger, which could sure. kill you. Well, I have no intention of engaging in any sort of dance with the tiger, other than to share that I've I've asked for it to grow in my garden. It's it's been growing. It's beautiful. I love it, and I I wanted to find more recent information about it because I, 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 I've read similar accounts to what you've just shared with me and um, I, I'm, I'm perplexed. But again, I'm thinking that um, we have the difference between a cute little baby and a mature plant. Maybe, maybe. Right? And the cute little tiger baby would be cute. Right. It might even play nice. Right. But it is still going to grow up and do something that can kill you. Understood. Well, okay. I The frost is about to come where I live any night now, and, and um, you know, there's not going to be any henbane salad going on, but I... I but I'm glad to hear it. Thank you. Thank you for your... Thank you for your insight on that. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye-bye. All right. Here we are. Back to another email question. Okay. Pull up my little list here. Hmm. 
Meanwhile, I have found, while we've been talking, in uh, a magazine, a great set of labels that they are encouraging us to cut out and to use to make our homes Halloween-friendly. And so I am about to affix a label to my jar of elderberry tincture that says spider legs. <laughs> okay, I don't know how that makes your house friendly, but all right. <laughs> Hello, Susan. Thank you for sharing your wealth of information. I recently stumbled on the benefits of nettle, and your site is by far the most informative. I have oodles of nettle growing in my property and will collect what I can while it is in season. This was sent in July, just so you know. My question Still too late for you, in July. Well, depending on where they are. Yeah. I can't quite imagine anywhere that it would still be okay in July, but maybe I'm wrong. Because would you once like the me to just go to the next question? Flower, it's too late to harvest it. Okay. Anyhow, so go I'll ahead. Just go to the next. No, I'll just no, go to the next no, no, question. No, no, go, to, go ahead, go ahead. We're interested. Oh, well, you've already, you know. Did I statement. answer the question that they had? Um, no. Okay, well, let's look at the question. What's their question? My question is, can I make the infusion and use that water in my coffee pot? I love my coffee and would think that would be a great way for me to drink the juice. Wondering if you know if this is possible or if I could damage the good of the infusion. So what she's saying is she wants to make a nettle infusion and then she wants to take that nettle infusion and brew her coffee with the nettle infusion. So she has a coffee brewed from nettle infusion water. I don't have a coffee maker. You do. Would that hurt the coffee maker? No, I don't. I mean, there's lots of different kinds of coffee makers. There's press, right. um, which it certainly wouldn't hurt. Um, okay. I did, no, I don't see why it would hurt the coffee maker. No. All right. Then it should be fine. I, I know somebody who puts instant coffee in their infusion. So it seems kind of like the same thing. Mhm. I don't see any problem with it. Okay. <sighs> Susan, I have two of your books and have told all of my friends about Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way. It has been a blessing. I had my last period October 2013, and I'm approaching a year without menstruating. Herbs have helped me get this far, and I'm hoping there's something to help me deal with this latest symptom, asthma. I know there are good lung herbs, Lobelia, Elecampane, Mullen. Do you know of one with a specific affinity for curing asthma that has been brought on by hormonal changes? I'm not particularly overweight, although I did gain the 10 pounds you recommend. I have read that it could be related to food allergies as well, and I do like my dairy. I'm not taking any medications. The asthma is definitely exercise-induced, and a couple of spells have been worrisome. I would be grateful for any information you have. Thank you. My understanding is that asthma, uh, especially exercise-related asthma, um, which comes on as we age, is not caused by anything, but 
in fact, um, has been kind of lurking invisibly all along. And I'm a little unclear about the herbs that you mentioned, the mullen um, and Ella Campaign, and maybe I didn't catch it. Did she say she was actually using those herbs or just that she knew they were good? Justine, when you were reading the letter, did she say that she was actually using Mullen and Ella Campaign? Um, I'm sorry, I was talking to you, but I was on mute. Um, she says, I know there are good lung herbs. Do you know of one with a specific affinity? She's not yet started taking anything, okay. but wants your advice before she embarks on a protocol. Okay. So, um, mullen, as she has suggested, is a wonderful herb for restoring health to the lungs. And dried mullen leaf can be used as a smudge to stop asthma attacks. So, if you had some dried mullen leaf on hand already in a heat proof container with some matches next to it, and you start to feel that your breathing is tightening up. You could do that. Now, if it's exercise-induced, if it's going on while you're exercising, you might even want to make a mullen cigarette, which is to get some dried mullen and roll it up in some cigarette paper so that you could carry it with you with a way to light it so that you could actually smoke it as this exercise-induced um, asthma is occurring since I'm envisioning you being out walking, running, or doing something where you wouldn't necessarily be home with your mullen. I uh, met one woman who's a very vigorous athlete and who um, had since childhood um, asthma when she exercised but did not ever intend to let that get in her way. And she, when she harvested mullen leaves, she rolled them up in the shape of cigars. And that's what she smoked, was her, what she called her mullen leaf cigar. And she said the truth of the matter is, is that it was kind of like a big smudge. That it really, really wasn't so much that she was smoking it as that it, it was an easy and convenient way to take mullen smudge around. The um, Ella Campaign is a faster-acting remedy than the mullen. And that's another possibility to carry with you some elecampane tincture when you're exercising and to see if that helps. Of course, the herb that opens up breathing the fastest is osha. Osha and a related plant that is being harvested in Oregon called oshala um, act to actually prevent cells from uptaking histamine and therefore to really clear the breathing pathways very, very rapidly. So mullen long-term to restore lung health and reduce the overall incidence of asthma. Elecampain, if you want to um, carry it with you or even to use it on a semi-regular basis for improving the lungs. It helps to clear infection and inflammation from the lung. 
And then for real emergencies, when you're actually having an asthma attack, inhaling the smoke of mullein and taking a three to five drops of OSHA tincture can work really well. You had an um, experience with OSHA improving breathing just a couple of days ago. Yes. Um, yes, in fact, uh, it was related to a massage that um, my partner had been given, and the massage therapist used essential oils in the massage uh, without asking, and the, um, about an hour following the massage was a pretty heavy dose of essential oils, too. Um, the recipient of the massage um, uh, started to, really to be unable to breathe, um, and uh, after a couple of doses of OSHA, the breathing became easy again, which was quite a relief. Yay, OSHA. Yay, OSHA. We have someone in the 512 area, and the line is open for you to speak with Susan. Okay. Thank you so much. Susan, uh, can you hear me? Yes. Susan, um, this is Anna. I'm calling from Austin, and I, I met you uh, a couple of years ago uh, when you were over here, and I really, you helped me so much. Uh, I, I never forget the, the visit, and um, I read your emails, and, and I study as much as I can. I really respect you so much. I'm actually on Friday starting um, an herb course here in Austin with Ellen. Um, I'm having a huge emotional problem at the moment, and I'm just wondering if you can really help me, because I would hate to resort to uh, traditional medication. I need to stop um, you, because what I do is traditional. Yes. I think what you mean is modern medication. Sorry, yes. I'm sorry. I mean modern medication. Yes, Susan. Um, uh, there were some... Um, tragic events uh, with my friends. One of them died tragically, and the other one, almost at the same time, uh, got sick with cancer and uh, died shortly afterwards. And um, I went to visit uh, he her a couple of times, and those visits just left fear inside of me, and they didn't do me any good. I know it's horrible to say because I wanted to see my friend. I felt a need to see her, to help her. But afterwards, I was just in bits. And I still, um, it's been two or three weeks, and I still can't cope with those emotions. I'm getting anxiety attacks. Um, it's, a, it's an emotional roller coaster. Um, I'm fine now. It seems like there are moments that I'm perfectly fine, like, 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 so what's wrong with you? And then something, um, I start thinking about the images that I saw, and it triggers the anxiety attacks, and it's very, very hard on me. I have circles un under, my, uh, under my eyes, and uh, I'm under a lot, a lot of, um, I can feel a lot of stress in my body. Um, I'm just wondering if there's any way that you can help me, please, Susan. Well, there's several things. First of all, you need to stop thinking about those images. Don't you think? It's very difficult for me to do. Well, certainly. We didn't say it would be easy. 
the way to stop thinking about anything is to replace it with something else. So that every time you think about one of those images, you immediately replace it with something else. What are you going to replace it with? It can be something complicated or it can be something simple. For instance, I have used the color yellow. And so when the thought that is so upsetting to me comes into my mind, I simply go yellow, 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 and I look at yellow. And I allow no thought except yellow. Yes. A slightly more complicated thing would be to think of someone or some place or something that makes you very, very happy. A beloved, a lover, a grandchild, a pet. Mm -hmm. And when that image that is so upsetting to you comes into your mind, you immediately replace it with the image of that beloved one and say their name. Yes. Yes. So you must Um, stop thinking about these things. You must stop torturing yourself. It is in your ability to do it, and you do it by replacing. Mm -hmm. And you must do it beforehand. Once the image is there in your mind, is not the time when you choose. You have to choose beforehand and have your image at the ready and you don't look back and you just do it and you do it as many times a day as you need to do it mother wart tincture is a wonderful calmative it especially helps us when we are distressed and anxious about things that we are worried that might happen Exactly. So motherwort tincture, taken just as a regular tonic when you get up in the morning, anywhere from 10 drops to a dropper full, and you could take it as many as two or three other times during the day if you wanted to, just as a tonic. You could also carry motherwort tincture with you, and when you found yourself feeling that stress, taking some motherwort in addition to doing the substitution. In a Unit 3, uh, actually in Unit 2 of my heart health course, and Unit 3 is just about to be published. I'm really excited about it. Um, and the units are each totally standalone. I talk about the difference between a heart attack and a panic attack, and there isn't. It's mm-hmm. just about impossible for the person having the panic attack to know whether or not it's a heart attack and it's certainly just about impossible for the people standing around however should you have some other work tincture with you either for you or for yourself or for someone else who's having a panic attack and you give that person some motherwort tincture and I would give a dropper full or two in that situation some motherwort tincture you could go ahead and call the ambulance if it's a panic attack by the time the ambulance get there, gets there the panic attack will be over if it's not you've improved the heart of your health and you need to go to the hospital because you're having a heart attack I see I see so the motherwort uh, you, you, that strong at relieving anxiety that will even stop wow. a full-blown panic attack. 
Wow. Uh, how many drops did you say, Susan? Could you repeat it, please? Sure. Taking it as a tonic on a daily basis between five drops and a dropper full. You can kind of figure out the dose for yourself. It's a plant in the mint family. It's very safe. Mm-hmm. Five drops. And, and I buy the Anywhere the from five I suppose. to a dropper full. Oh, I see what you mean, dropper full. Oh, now I understand what you mean. Okay, five to dropper full. Okay. Right, that's a range. Yes, so you yes. might find that as little as five drops will be effective, or you might find that you need as much as a dropper full. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm also drinking your, your herbal infusions. I'm drinking all of them except uh, Comfrey. And uh, how, and how are you experiencing that? Um, I love drinking my uh, herbal infusions because I feel like it's giving me a, a weapon, uh, something to fortify my body to, to fight this. So it, it gives me strength. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Today, actually, I'm, I have oat straw. And you, I usually drink three, uh, pine, three quarts of oat straw a week. Is, is that okay? That's just fine. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it's linden and, and nettle and red clover. And sometimes I, I use chickweed. Nice. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Susan, when I have those, let's say, anxiety thoughts, I experience pain in uh, a little pain in my left breast and under my um, arm, mm-hmm. and that, of course, um, it, it multiplies my anxiety because I hate this. I hate that pain, obviously, uh, in that particular place in my body. Do you think that this pain is alerting you to something, or do you think that it's fear? I feel like it's fear. What is your image of protection? Each one of us can choose an image of protection. That image of protection can be um, praying hands, it can be an armored tank. It can be a um, g- bubble of golden light. It can be, I use a cowrie shell as my image of protection. It could be an angel. They're pretty fierce. So choose an image of protection. And when you have these thoughts, call up your image of protection. Yes, I will do that. I will, I will do that. Yes, I have so much fear um, uh, inside of me. I suppose those visits, and I know I, I, will, I will stop those thinking, and it's just the fear that I will be that person, that she was there, and I just can't imagine going through it. Well, don't. What is the point of imagining it? If you go through it, you'll go through it, and you won't have to imagine it. And if you imagine it, that doesn't mean you won't go through it, and it doesn't mean you will, but you'll have wasted your time imagining it. Right. Right. Find something yes. better to do with your time. Exactly. Yes. Work I, a crossword puzzle. Right? Write a book. 
Read a book. Mm-hmm. Go to the movies. Yes. I do, I do try to do that. I work, of course, as well. Yes. So that takes, uh, and it, it, it's, it's robbing me of self-respect and self-esteem. Um, but, well, I hope um, that these techniques think, bring back your self-respect and your self-esteem. I hope so, Susan. Thank you, you will so find much for your, these, for your help. For your, that mm-hmm. these substitutions work very effectively and that the motherwort tincture, I think, will be a real ally for you. And Great. again, Great. take yourself seriously in hand and say, listen up. Imagining things is neither going to cause them to happen nor prevent them. It is simply a waste of my time and energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Human beings have this amazing ability to be able to project into the future. And so we can see the leaves falling from the trees, and we can say, hey, I need to get some warm clothing and some firewood together. I mean, it's really remarkable that we can do that. But that mechanism can run amok and can mm-hmm. drive us to prepare for things that are never actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. So praise that part of your brain that it wants to protect you and let it know that it's not protecting you. And it's time to stop. I will, I will definitely work on it, Susan. All righty. Right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Green blessings. Your good things and blessings. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. In the 205 area, the line is open, and you can speak with Susan, but there's just five minutes to do that. Great. Five minutes is all I need. Hello, Susan. It's Parker. Hi. Yeah. Oh, great. Oh, my heart was so open to Anna's story, and I, if she's still listening, I love you and I support you um, in all of that. So, yes. Oh, so my mother is out of the hospital, and she's doing so wonderful. Like, we go on walks. And, you know, just like, and she's now drinking um, some nettle infusion, and I just feel so happy about that. Um, yeah, and I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> um, That's right. Yeah, and um, the soaking of my foot worked out beautifully. I felt I had plenty of time to, like, you know, it was, it was almost like just take a, take a minute to relax, you know, and to slow down. And, and I was like, ah, all right. So it was all very good. Um, yeah, so thank you for um, the information, and yeah, I'm very appreciative of it. All right. Yes. Oh, and I um, also, your comfrey is in the in the in the mail. <laughs> it's coming your way. Okay. My yes. comfrey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The comfrey that I'm sending to you. Um, I actually had a question. Because you have been frequently visiting me in um in my dreams, and I was wondering um like if there's anything uh, like in preparation I can do for dreaming interesting that like, you asked that we just had a class on dream pillows this weekend ah <laughs> ah yeah, and uh everybody in class made a dream pillow mm. And the apprentices who were here uh, said that their dream pillows were really working. Ah. 
One of them said that she has a dream journal, her most prized possession, that she's been keeping since she was nine years old. And um, that maybe she's a little worried she's going to run out of pages. She's having so many dreams now with her dream pillow. And the others um, also said that they were better able to remember their dreams, and their dreams seemed to be more vivid. The classic herbs for dream pillow are hops, humulus, lupulus, and cronewort, also known as mugwort, which is Artemisia vulgaris. Lavender and rose petals are the two second most frequent herbs used in dream pillows, and then a variety of other ones. If we had to get it down to just one, the Artemisia vulgaris would be my top pick. Right. Yes, I remember... um I remember her, and actually, when I when I uh, had some of her with me because like there was some dried in the house, I remember uh, in the apprentice hut, I remember having the most intense dreams. So that is very, yes, very true. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, thank you very much for that. Yeah. All right. So um, yes. Okay. Great. Thank you very much, and um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your night. Thank you so much. Great blessings. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Susan, and now your guest to welcome Sarah Hannah Silverstein, the mother of seven children, a board-certified lactation consultant, doula, an American Herbal Guild herbalist, and a classical homeopath. For the past 20 years, Sarah Hannah has maintained offices in both L.A. and New York and has worked with over 5,000 mother baby dyads. She empowers women with the knowledge and understanding of the world of botanicals, allowing and supporting them to treat themselves and their children. Sarah Hannah Silverstein teaches women how to stand up for their rights in the medical world and helps to educate them so they become partners in the decision-making with their health care practitioners. She has had the honor to help birth children, help that child breastfeed, and assist them through toddlerhood and actually watch them become adults. Sarah Hanna loves to teach women how to use plants to help their loved ones. Welcome to the show. Hi, Susan. It is so nice being back with you. And just wonderful to have you here again with all of your delicious and so homey and effective information. I want to tell you, Susan, that in the summers, I spend a lot of time hiking in the canyons in Los Angeles. And on my little iPod, I have all your podcasts. So I spent the entire summer with you every time I was hiking. And I wanted to share something very interesting with you. You said it is very normal for women to be pregnant or breastfeeding for a very long time. So I wanted to let you know that I was either pregnant or breastfeeding for 22 years of my life straight without a break. And I thought you would find that interesting. I do. It's, it's so not normal in women's lives, not just not in their personal lives, but also not in the lives of their families or extended families to know women like you. So thank you for letting us know. And I always say, I didn't choose it. I was perfectly happy with my one child. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, but we need to understand that that is the model for how a woman is designed to be and designed to be healthy. 
And yes. it was really impressed on me by so many professionals that unchecked ovulation lies at the heart of the breast cancer epidemic. Right. I mean, I was either pregnant and then I would breastfeed my children um, for a minimum of 24 to 26 months until my next pregnancy. And then I would slowly over a very slow period of time wean my children as my pregnancy was progressing. And that went through all seven of my children in 22 years. So it was very it was it was a very interesting journey. Indeed. Well, this evening we want to talk about keeping kids and moms healthy during the school year. Yes. So um, could you give us your favorite picks for keeping your kids healthy now that school started again? Sure. So, you know, on the West Coast, school started a while ago, and now on the East Coast, as the weather changes, is when school begins. So I love to teach my clients to use herbs preventatively and not just after the kid has come home sick. So whenever the school year is starting, I always like moms to start to give herbs to stimulate the immune system two weeks before the year begins because kids are transitioning from being outside, you know, jumping outside, hiking, being by lakes, being by beaches, and then all of a sudden they're crammed in these little classrooms with a lot of other kids that are also struggling emotionally to, you know, be in these little tiny classrooms, and germs are going to be everywhere. So I like women to start giving herbs Let's say that they hear that their girl, you know, that their child's girlfriend gets sick. Don't wait till your child gets sick. Start getting your child some herbs. Whenever there's a slumber party, Susan, I always tell my clients, two days before the party, start giving your child some immune herbs. Two days after, give some calming herbs like lemon balm. Because whenever kids' schedules change and the energy changes, they can be more vulnerable for illnesses. And I really don't want to wait till that kid is really, really being sick I mean herbs will of course be effective at that time but let's be one step ahead as moms so you're saying that the herbs that you use to nourish the immune system and to help the immune immune system be more online are lemon balm no, no, no. I'm sorry. I just threw in the lemon balm <clears throat> like after a slumber party the day after when the child's very agitated and not sleeping a lot. No, lemon balm is not the herb that I'm going to use in my preventative mix. And before we get to the specific herbs, I wanted to tell you that in my experience for the past 20 years, kids typically get sick five times a year. And I think it's very healthy and normal for kids to get sick five times a year. Get a little bit of a stuffy nose, a sore throat, a little bit of the gland swollen, getting a fever. What I'm concerned about, Susan, is those children that come to me that go from stuffy nose to ear infection to bronchitis to strep throat back to another bronchiolitis. And I get a lot of clients in my office that have literally been sick from the end of September all the way till this till the weather changes in March so first I like moms to know that getting sick and recovering which I'm sure you agree with in a good 24 to 48 hour period of time 
is great. And I use herbs just to support the system and comfort the children while they're sick. But I like to give herbs preventatively because I see that kids with new teachers and new friends or maybe friends that are cruel to them, they tend to become more vulnerable. And I don't want them to get into this state of being chronically ill, Susan. Yes, I absolutely agree with you that for children, the thing that strengthens the immune system the most is being sick. As you say, not chronically, not all the time, but I don't know if it's your experience, but my experience is that with children like that who are sick all the time, that they get an ear infection, go to the doctor, and are put on antibiotics. Oh, yes. And now what happens is within two to four weeks after the antibiotics, because their systems are are so weak, then they'll pick up every virus that's around. And then because they're sick for two weeks with the virus, then another kid sneezes or another kid has strep throat and they pick up the bacterial infection. So in my office, we honor fever. And another dose of antibiotics. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, when people come to me, a lot of these children have been on 10 to even 15 courses of antibiotics once they finally turn around and say, hey, uh, antibiotics do not seem to be working. Maybe we need to go to an herbalist like Sarahana. And what I turn around and teach them is, is that the next time the child gets sick and the child gets a fever, we're not going to run immediately to suppress the fever. We're going to allow the child to have the fever honor the fact that the fever is actually doing something very positive and productive for the child. I like to support the children with herbs like elderflower, yarrow, um, maybe some catnip depending on the situation. I will give herbs to help the child feel more comfortable while they're having the fever, but I want the parents to be really happy and know that a fever is a sign of a really proficient and proper immune system. Exactly. Exactly. The immune system is learning how to deal with the hundreds of different cold viruses there are by basically cycling through them. We may think, oh, my kid just had a cold, but no, your kid has a different cold this time. Yes, yes. And they need to be able to, (coughs) excuse me, have that cold, you know, stay home for a day or two. I mean, I remember when I was learning with the herbalist, um, Dr. Mary Bove, she said the convalescent time is just forgotten with American children. So if your child does get sick and needs to be home from school for two days, what a lot of moms do is they panic that their child's going to be missing school. They give that antibiotic. The child's put back in school 24 hours later, and the child hasn't recovered from the illness. So what I like to teach my parents is, Keep them home, let's give them some herbs, let's support the system. And the day after when they're starting to feel better, you don't have to rush them out the door to school. Let that be their recovery day. Feed them a lot of healthy food, let them feel good, let them relax, let them actually recover from the virus they had, and then go back into school and they'll be a lot stronger. Yes, when you said before, well, they shouldn't be sick for more than 24 to 48 hours, I thought, hmm, but I wouldn't put them back in school that fast. Correct. 
But I'm saying we don't want them to be miserable for days and days and days is what I'm saying. And, you know, a lot of my clients that come to me with chronic strep throat, they're on antibiotics in the first six days on the antibiotic, they're still feeling miserable. So, no, I don't believe children recover in 24 to 48 hours, but that's the time of discovery of what does this illness look like to the mom? What color is coming out of the nose? Is it green? Is it yellow? Is it clear? Is the right ear hurting more than the left ear? I mean, don't forget my background is as a homeopath. So I like to take as many specific symptoms and details. Does the child have a stomach ache? Does the child seem to be very thirsty or not thirsty at all? And when mothers start to get familiar and understand the way their children present with their illnesses, it's a lot easier for me as an herbalist to recommend the proper herbal combinations for that specific child. I understand. Now, in addition to herbs, I hear that you also are a great fan of blackstrap molasses. I love blackstrap molasses, and I actually pulled it out and had it on my desk here in my office. I love to give children, when they're home not feeling well, drinks that will really build them up and support them. So I make a wonderful drink for my clients that I just, well, I don't make it. I teach the moms how to make it. And what the recipe is around, and of course you have to tweak it to yours and your children's taste is, but I take a tablespoon of blackstrap molasses, a tablespoon of honey. Of course, we only give honey, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, once the child is past 12 months. Put some boiling water over the blackstrap molasses and honey or warm water. Mix it well and add either some rice milk or almond milk. And it is a delicious drink. And, Susan, I can tell you my kids' clients just love it. And blackstrap molasses is considered poor man's vitamins. I mean, it's one of the best ways I have found to give kids a lot of nutrients, and especially when they're not feeling well, a lot of them lose their appetite. So one cup of blackstrap molasses, I'm happy for them to miss a meal. Okay, so your blackstrap molasses is your carry-through. If they can't get to that meal, they got some real nutrition in them. I mean, I'm sure you're a fan of it. I mean, it's got tons of potassium, it's got calcium, it's got iron, and it's very inexpensive, so everyone can afford it. And that's always important in my practice, Susan, is to figure out ways that people that may not have lots of money can use natural medicine in their home, and I consider blackstrap molasses a natural medicine. I certainly am a big fan of blackstrap molasses, but as you know, I work with nourishing herbal infusions, and I find that babies and children love the nourishing herbal infusions, and they aren't sweet. And I strongly prefer not to give children sweet things. Right. I don't consider molasses so sweet. I mean, it tastes so bitter. I mean, we add some honey to it to just sweeten it up. I know that molasses is made from a sugar source, but from my understanding, it's not a negative sugar. What's your feeling on that? I prefer not to give children sugary things. Okay, okay. I prefer to give them nourishing herbal infusions, which have more potassium, more calcium, more protein, more vitamins, and cost less than blackstrap molasses. Yes. I guess one of my things also is that I have a lot of mom, Susan, that are businesswomen and working very hard and don't have the time to make the infusions. I obviously was trained it as an herbalist with infusions. It takes three minutes to make an infusion. I suggest that women do it while they're brushing their teeth. Right. Great. 
Right. <laughs> weigh up the herb, put it in a jar, put the tea kettle up to boil. What are we talking here? One minute? Go and in then the bathroom, close it off and let teeth, it sit for a while and strain it. I know that. Boiling, pour it in the jar, put the lid on, turn the light off, go to sleep. Let's not make excuses for them. I know. I know. I, I, I Come have on. <laughs> Sarah Hanna, I'm a busy woman. I run a publishing company. I run a workshop center. Yes. I have 2,000 correspondence course students. I have over 1,000 online students. I have apprentices living with me. I travel all over the world teaching, and I make infusion every night. Yes, yes. I know. Just for ourselves either. I know. You know I agree with you. I have to tell you honestly that just when I make tinctures for my clients, it is a lot to get them to remember to give it to their children three times a day. So I agree with you 100%. I can't say that all That's my clients... why I don't suggest that we make a tincture for anyone because if mm-hmm. we do, we're going to wind up being the ones asking for compliance. Let me tell you a wonderful story. Please. There were two children, seven and nine years old, walking with their mom in a field. And they said to her, you know, school is starting and we don't want to be sick. Can we pick some yarrow and make a yarrow tincture? And she said, that's a great idea. They picked the yarrow and they made their yarrow tincture all together, the three of them. And they left that bottle of yarrow tincture sitting on the table where they ate their breakfast. When school started, there it was sitting there. And one morning, the boy, the nine-year-old, said, you know what? I need some yarrow tincture. And he took some. And the next morning, his sister said, I think I need some, too. And the two of them started taking that yarrow tincture. They didn't take it every day, but it was right there in front of them at the breakfast table. And any day they felt like taking it, they did. And they went that winter basically with one cold each. I love it. And, you know, on that note, one of my favorite stories is I had a client that had been chronically ill. Um, He was a young boy, probably about seven, eight, and he had had strep throat after strep throat after ear infection, had been on just way too many ear infections, I mean, way too many antibiotics. And um, when they came to me, um, I did make them a tincture, true confessions. I made them a mix, and I needed the mom or suggested to the mom that she gives it to the child three times a day because we were weaning the child off antibiotics, Susan. And, you know, his immune system was completely compromised. And he would cry and fetch and complain. And every time she had to give him the herbs, I mean, it was a disaster. So she did it for a good six to eight weeks, and he started to get stronger. And, you know, he was able to be in school without being on an antibiotic. And she weaned him off it, and it was about two weeks later, and he walked in the door after school. He goes, Mom, I need those herbs now She looked at him and said, you? Are you kidding me? He said, yeah, I'm starting to feel sick. Can you please give them to me? She called me up laughing hysterically because she herself had had five children, and all the other kids never complained like he did. But you know, Susan, as much as he complained taking them at first, he felt them in his system, he knew they were helping him, and he did not want to go back down that road of being sick again. And from then on, any time he felt like he was getting sick, he went over to his mother, just like the kids that you spoke about, and he was able to regulate his own herbs. It was just wonderful. Yes, this is what we really want. We want yes. people involved. We want the children involved. We don't want to be the ones making it for them. And I will also tell you, this is why I don't use combinations. Mm-hmm. Because once you start using a combination, you take power away from people. 
I agree. You know, when I first started practicing herbal medicine many years ago, I did give single tinctures to my clients, and I explained exactly what each herb was for and let them experiment. You know, I guess a lot depends on the dedication of the parents, um, where the parents are coming from. You know, a lot of clients will come to me, Susan, only because their pediatricians refer them to me. And the pediatrician is like, man, I just, I can't even give you any more antibiotics. Just go to that woman, Sarah Hanna. She's an herbalist. I don't even know what she does, but she helps a lot of my clients get better. So a lot of my clients, when they first come to me, the parents don't understand herbs, don't want to be educated in them. I try my best to explain everything. And I do make them a combination because I do see that a lot of these kids have these combination of problems and I have to kind of attack the illness from many different angles. And then when the parents get more involved in it, then I can bring them in and, and have them more involved. So I think a lot depends on where my clients are at. And yes, I have a lot of clients that know all the single herbs, Susan, and you would be very impressed with them. And they're, they're wonderful, competent herbalists after having worked with herbs for years. But that's not always the people that come my way, Susan. I understand. You are listening to Sarah Hanna Silverstein. And if you want to get more Go to sarahana.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-A-N-A. Sarahana. The C is silent. S-A-R-A-C-H-A-N-A dot com. How about babies? Is have you found it's okay to give babies herbs? I love giving babies herbs. I mean, I'm a, a, a lactation consultant, so my goal with my clients, of course, is to guide them through breastfeeding so that they can be successful breastfeeders. But I do find that babies get colds and they do get flus, and especially if they have older siblings around them that they tend to pick them up. Um, I I tend to give uh, or suggest herbs directly to babies. Um, I know a lot of people believe that the herbs are going to go into the breast milk and transfer into the baby. My philosophy in it is that most of the times when the moms take the herbs, their systems need it so desperately that I feel that the herbs tend to work on the moms themselves to bring them back in line. So I am an advocate when babies need it to give them herbs and my clients have been very successful and really happy with it. I have found that too, even as young as a premature yes. can benefit from the use of uh, especially the nourishing herbs. Yes, yes. A lot of my premature babies, um, some have had open heart surgery. Uh, many have been on antibiotics. Most have been on steroids. And so by the time they come to me, they definitely need or nourishing herbs. And I, I mean, I just see herbs working so beautifully in newborns that I just am thankful every single day that there are herbs on the planet so they can help these babies. And I have total confidence. Me too. Now, we, we already established that we're not going to give honey to a premature infant or, in fact, even any child under the age of 12 months. And this is because there's not enough hydrochloric acid in the stomach to kill possible botulinus spores in the honey. We're not saying that all honey contains them, but we're saying that getting 
botulinus poisoning is so awful, getting botulism is so awful that we don't want to risk it. But after a year old, children can have honey, and I think that you make medicinal honeys. Is that true, Sarah Hanna? Yes, and one of the things you were talking about before was getting children involved in their herbs, and I agree, and I know that moms and kids have a lot of fun in the kitchen making medicinal herbs, and then they can keep them, and it's much, the compliance is much better when kids are involved with it. And, and I agree with you on that. Um, I, I like that, and my mom's like that. So we make different medicinal honeys, and, and the kids like them, and they take them. And I know that you said early in our conversation that you're not a fan of sugars. I mean, obviously I'm not, but the truth is is that when a child does take their herbs in honey, they like it, and it tastes good, and they can dribble it on their toast, and they can mix it in with their oatmeal, and they can eat it in so many different ways that, yeah, my clients really enjoy that. So tell us about the medicinal honeys, how you make them, and what herbs you like to use. Um, it depends on what the children are going through. I mean, if they're getting chronic coughs, I mean, as easy as just chopping up some onions and pouring honey over it and letting it sit 24 hours and watching the honey become thin and liquidy and it's a little bit bitter but my kids my clients really like that um if i have children that are um a little bit chronically sick and i'm making a mixture maybe my mixture of herbs is going to have echinacea and yerba santa maybe i'll put some usnea in there if they've been on antibiotics chronically sometimes i just have them slightly heat the honey and then mix in their tincture and stir it well and keep that to the side um i know last time we spoke you told me the secret of making garlic honey is to keep the skins on the garlic cloves um, and it, and those are the type of honeys that we make. I'm sure you have honey recipes that you love. I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even consider it a recipe, but this is certainly the time of the year for making honeys from all the various mints. Oh, because as the weather cools, some of those mints, as we know, are going to go bye-bye. The shiso, yes. the tulsi, the basils, even the peppermints and the spearmints are not right. truly frost-hardy. Um, so we gather them up, and I love them all as honey, sage honey, rosemary honey, thyme honey, lavender honey, shiso honey, peppermint honey, all just wonderful. And the best part of it is that they are instant teas. And most children who can operate an electric tea kettle and are safe around boiling water um, can make their own teas then. Yes, yes. So they just get a spoonful of, say, sage honey if they uh, are experiencing a cough, put it in a cup, plug in the teapot when the water boils, pour it in their cup. When it's cool enough to drink, drink it down, and voila, no sore throat, no cough. Yes, I agree 100%. And I do love sage honey. I'm glad you brought that up. That is one of my favorite honeys for the winter months out here on the East Coast where it gets really cold. Yes, and I do. I, my goal is to empower moms to learn how to take care of their children. And my goal is also to get the children involved and let them 
take responsibility and communicate very clearly with their moms about how they're feeling. And again, because my history is a classical homeopath, my initial training, I really teach my clients, the children, to sit down and tell their moms exactly what they're feeling. So when my clients call me up, they have a list of symptoms. Susan, you would just love it. I have a little more crust in my right eye than my left. When I wake up in the morning, I feel that my left nostril is more stuffy than my right nostril. I notice that when I drink cold drinks, my throat hurts, but when I drink warm drinks, it doesn't, or vice versa. So, yes, I really like to have children be able to be very much a part of their healing process. I know from my daughter, her ear infections, um, which did not seem to be well resolved by much of anything, Hmm. were resolved by homeopathic remedy. And I don't even actually think that it was per se the homeopathic remedy, but it was that she had something she could take when she wanted it. Mm-hmm. And she had that vial, and it was hers, and it was right by her bed, and it was right. really important to her. And right. nobody had to say to her, take this much or don't take that much, or any time she felt that she wanted some of that remedy, she took some of that remedy. And that's or- to me, one of the wonderful things about homeopathic remedies is that they are, in general, at low doses, quite safe for children to self-dose. Yes, that's exactly. I was going to confirm that at a low dose, it um, it is very wonderful. And we do know that even adults, when they're on their morphine pumps, that they tend to take in less of the medication than when some, a nurse hands them the medication. But I have to tell you an amazing story, Susan, I, 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 since we're on the topic of homeopathy. And I don't know that any other modality would have helped this child so dramatically. So I was working with a client and it was her six-week follow-up and I looked at the chart and on the first visit I had given the client a 10M of a remedy. Now for anybody that knows homeopathy, 10M is super high. They go from 6X to 6C to 30C to 200C. So Susan, I'm sitting at my desk going, did I lose my mind? (laughs) I was like, Oh, my gosh, like, what happened to me? So I'm quivering, and I'm a really good homeopath. I'm like, what happened to my to my brain? And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking through the notes, and the mother's sitting there with the 9-year-old daughter, and they're kind of smiling, and I am so intimidated. You have no idea. So I look at the mother, and I go, mm, how's your daughter doing? She goes, well, listen to the story. Now, her child had selective mutism, Okay. Selective mutism means that the child was only speaking to the mother ever, not the father, not the siblings, not the teachers, had only spoken to the mother. So she was sitting on my couch, and the mother says, you know, Sarahana, I never believed in homeopathy. Just, you know, everyone talked me into coming to you, so I just had to do what she said, but a week and a half after taking these little tiny balls under her tongue, which I thought was nothing, she went over to the teacher and said, Susie's been bothering me all year. Can you do something about it? She said the teacher almost fell over and hit her head. Nobody had ever heard that this, this girl speak before. And she said, you know, Sarahana, I can't say she's as talkative as my other kids, but she's now communicating with us. That is in my experience, is the power of homeopathy. Now, 
of course, I then could refer the girl to get some therapy and some counseling, and we could begin to research what it was that the daughter had made this decision in her life to decide to over But, Susan, I mean, is that not a miracle story? I mean, that's homeopathy. The show will be ending in 90 seconds. it really did require a dose at that higher level. Oh, if I had given her a 60 or a 12C, we would not have the success story. I mean, she didn't need me again. The show will be ending in 60 seconds. 60 seconds. This is Susan Weed talking with Sarah Hanna Silverstein. If you like what you're hearing and you want more information about keeping kids and moms healthy during the school year and lots of other stuff, visit sarahanna.com, S-A-R-A-C-H-A-N-A. Dot com. Sarah Hanna, thank you once again for such wonderful information. Always an incredible pleasure to get a chance to talk to you and catch up with you and to bask in your wisdom. Listeners, thank you so much for joining Susan Weed and Sarah Hanna Silverstein here at Women's Radio. Thank you for helping us reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And remember, herbal medicine is people's medicine. It's the medicine right outside your door. Green blessings, everyone. Good night. Good night, Sarah Hanna. Susan, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to speak with you. And good night, Justine. Good night. Thank Mm. you, ladies. Thank you.